Welcome to the Play-By-Play Perspective, where two play-by-play guys giving their perspective on all the things going on in GLBC Men's Hoop right now are giving it to you. It's Colin Surrey and Will Connolly of the Quincy Hawks. I'm with McKendry. And Will, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great tonight. It's uh, great to be able to talk about Great Lakes Valley Conference basketball. And it's also great to give uh, the fans our perspective on What's going on throughout the league here? Because obviously, as always, there's a lot going on. Of course, tons going on and so much going on that I forgot to get to our player of the week for our last beginning of the week show from last week. So we go to Cade McKnight, who was the player of the week for Truman State last week. And then coming into this week, Kobe McKinley, what a performance he had going up against Southern Indiana, the first time William Jewell had ever taken down the Screaming Eagles in Evansville. 20-12 and 12 he went for in that one. We know what Jordan Germain can bring for that William Jewell squad when Kobe McKinley brings that kind of game from the guard position as well, rebounding the way that he does. That's a huge impact. No, he. I mean, he's huge. I mean, Willie, William Jewell has played well with him and you're right. I mean, grabbing 12 rebounds and also getting to the line in that game so much. I mean, that's talk about a statement. Vic, talk about some statement victories for William Jewell. Oh, and I know we'll get into it throughout this podcast, but they've made a lot of them this year. They're so improved. Jermaine and McKinley, certainly extremely impressive what he did at Screaming Eagle Arena. And really just leading William Jewell to greater heights than we've seen them in recent years because of him and the play of Jermaine. Yeah, so we're keeping an eye on the Cardinals, but we move right into what happened on Thursday. We've got so much to get to between these Thursday games, the Saturday games, a lot of movement on Saturday, but we get it started on Thursday with Lewis and Rockhurst, and Lewis remained hot at the time with this 73 to 63 win and you look at it it's a a couple of those same guys that keep showing up Bruno Williams shows up with 21 points he goes 10 of 11 from the free throw line in this game Gray Bell adds in 19 points and Connor Nego a kind of a quiet 12 and 7 and 4 assists even though the point total not that high for him he gets it done in so many different ways and for Lewis they really are maintaining momentum with this win and moved to 9-2 and two in GLVC play after this one against Rockers. Yeah, after this Thursday game, it was uh, really impressive just to be able to th- look at what Lewis did against Rockers. I know they're struggling right now, but Lewis just really, they got out and you, you they outscored Rockers 39-26 in the second half. Rockers led at halftime. But Lewis, I mean, it's their, it was at the time their 11th win in their last 13 games. And, I mean, the Flyers, they still trail by three points uh, with less than nine minutes to play in this game. Rockhurst was hanging around for a while, but Lewis, a 19-4 run over the next eight-minute stretch. And that's kind of how they take the game 
away. They took their largest lead of the game on a late dunk by Nigo and then ultimately take the win. But, I mean, Lewis, just so many times this season, it's been impressive. They've been able to just go on these bursts, these runs, and you give a team that can just fly or let around the court like the Lewis Flyers can, they're hard to stop when they get going and they get firing on all cylinders. They didn't really shoot the three-pointer extremely well, but they shot 46% from the floor, had a season-best 91% at the foul line. And after Rockhurst came out the gates shooting well, four of its first six three-pointers, they only made two of their next 14. And Lewis, just a big second half to be able to top another opponent. We've seen that many times this year that the Flyers – can put together impressive second halves with great runs down the stretch, and that's what they did against Rockhurst on Thursday. Yeah, normally we talk about teams and their ability to to streak offensively, particularly from the three-point line, and what a boost that can give you on that end of the floor. This is a Lewis team that can streak defensively against you, and that's what you kind of saw late in this game. You get those couple of key stops, those forced turnovers from Lewis, in this ball game, they only forced 10 from Rockers, but they get them when they need them. And you talk about what they did at the foul line, 19 for 21. That's a great, great thing to have if you want to close out ball games and come out on top. And that's exactly what Lewis did in this one. And you get a balanced scoring attack for uh, Rockers on the other side. Jake Auer, Rich Byrie, Maxim Romanoff each had 14 points. And Nick Bolts had 10. But then outside of those four, you only had 11 total points from the rest of the team. So for Rockers, great effort from some of those key guys, but just needing a little bit more of that depth, which Lewis had in this one. And that's why I think that that we saw a 19-4 to run down the stretch in the second half is because Lewis does have that depth. And I think that that's why we see continuously this team putting away teams, and it's a great point you make, Colin. When you allow a team to just score four points in an eight-minute stretch, that's not the first time we've seen Lewis do that this season. When you go that long without getting a basket and the pressure, I mean, they make teams run their stuff toward the volleyball lines on courts. They pressure you so hard, and while Rockhurst early on could make some shots, the pressure got a little too hot for them in the second half. So Lewis did end up taking that one 73-63 to 63 against a Rockers team that's been playing better since getting a couple of those transfers that we've talked about in previous episodes. But then we move along to Umsel and Maryville, and it's the Tritons taking down Maryville 58-50. to 50. And this was a close one in the first half in a defensive effort again in the second half from one of the top teams in the conference. No surprise here, Umsel holding Maryville to just 20 points in the second half to pull away a defensive slugfest of a win. It was, and this just shows that, I mean, we're coming off the heels of an UMSL game where they scored 90-plus points, and then they win a game where they only score 58 points. So it just shows you the variety of ways that this team can win I mean, Maryville made it a two-point game with about eight minutes left, but Marty Jackson, he he was a little bit too much. I mean, in terms of when we need to go get a basket, they went to him down the stretch, and the double team of an undersized Maryville team 
really just wasn't enough. And I know that you see Shane Wissing just lit it up. He's been playing well offensively for Umsel. And then you add on top of that, Marty Jackson and Grubbs and Rose and Webb. It's a tough team to defend. And we are so high on their defense. And then the Tritons ultimately make six free throws in the final minutes to basically ice away this game. But it was impressive that Maryville was able to hang in there for so long. It was a back-and-forth battle in this one. It sure was. And let's give Shane Wissing some love here because I feel like we talk all the time about Marty Jackson, Jose Grubb, Steve Webb, and Yakima Rose for great reason. But Shane Wissing, such a solid, reliable defensive piece. I mean, you don't get into this starting lineup for Umsel without having that quality. But how about the Iron Man that Shane Wissink is? He played all 40 minutes in this game. And that seems to be one of those things that we come back to. All of those star players in this league seem to have that quality. You've got to be able to give those minutes for your team and have the conditioning to withstand just the brutal physicality that it takes to hang with the best in this league. I love how you bring him up. And even just, I mean, he's a guy from Oshkosh, Wisconsin. He's a COVID senior. So when you talk about the Ironman part, I mean, people, we got to remember, he's a guy that's more at the forefront of the conversation about Umsel. He was a second-team All-GLVC player last year. He was on the All-GLVC defensive team last year, and he was a guy who, coming into this year, he's eighth in career steals at Umsel. He was tied for sixth in career assists and fifth in career three-pointers made. I mean, he's a guy throughout his career that has just shot the three-pointer really at a very high clip, and that's led to a lot of his success on the floor. But he's not just a spot-up shooter. He can play defense. He can dish you out. And he's had back-to-back his two best games of the season. Now, he's only averaging 6.7 points per game this year, but you've seen what he's done in the past and his ability to be a scorer on this team, and he's showed that recently, which is certainly a great positive. Another piece in this UMSL offense, who a team that has been playing well as of late, and so you really got to look at a guy who can take care of the basketball, he can get your steals, he can assist, and he can shoot the three. He's always been right around 40% for his career. So he's just a really good player. And Umsel has those glue guys on their team, like a Shane Wissink, who just can be so dangerous and be problems like we did see on Thursday night. Yeah, I mean, my goodness, you read off the resume like you just did right there. He's an incredible player. And you forget just how good he is on a team chock full of stars. And I love the way that you referenced this is a team in Umsel that did it by scoring over 90 points in their last win. And then they get it done scoring 58 points in this one. And we've seen Marty Jackson go off. We've seen Jose Grubbs be the star. We've seen Steve Webb get it done, of course, defensively, but even offensively in a huge way at times this year. And now Umsel showing, hey, don't forget, this Shane Wissing guy is a stud as well. So look out for Umsel. They are hot right now, playing some great basketball. That win moved them to 16-6 and overall, 10-5 and in the conference. And then we move along to our next game of note, Southwest Baptist taking down UND 72-62. to And right now, 
I think it's pretty safe to say, I, you know, on, on Thursday, now that we know what we know, everything considered, it's a different story. But on Thursday, that conversation was kind of right there between Lewis and Southwest Baptist, who is the hottest in, in the conference and maybe the hottest player in the conference, Quinn Nelson for SBU. Man, Quinn Nelson shot perfect from the field, four for four from beyond the arc, 19 points. Aguirre had a great game, tied his career high in three-pointers made by hitting five, and he hit two in the final minutes to really seal this win. It was a pretty close game. Southwest Baptist only won by 10 points, but you got Crawford, you got Nelson, you got Aguirre. I mean, this team is is really good, and they're on a roll. This win was their fifth consecutive win. I mean, 13 three-pointers made during this game. The Bearcats are a really good basketball team, and it's impressive what they continue to do on their home floor as well. They're 10-1 and after getting the home win on Thursday. And, you know, I – I'll admit to not getting to watch this game throughout, but you look at the box score in, in watching Southwest Baptist throughout this season, you start to see a huge weapon for this Bearcats team that just almost doesn't exist in, in today's game of basketball, the way that they're able to do it. So a lot of teams like to go small these days, right? Try to take the value of the big man out of the game. Kendrick Choa was limited to 11 minutes of play in this game and it wasn't because of foul trouble he had just one foul in the game he just wasn't able to be effective the way that SBU runs their offense and defense the way that you can run you know five smalls five out the way the Southwest Baptist can and, and maybe you got a big in there that can shoot at the time too if you have a Jaleel Boburn that's healthy I know he's injured right now but the guy that gets it done for them, Mitch Gano, his versatility on both ends of the floor makes him such an incredibly valuable piece for this team, and it just creates a mismatch almost any way you want to slice it. And right now the Bearcats are owning this week. Yeah, Bearcats are really good. The theme on the glass, they win the advantage on the glass again. I know that's something that we've talked about a lot. But they also get just a great effort from R.J. Crawford. He's a really good offensive player, getting 21 points. But then you also have Quinn Nelson with 19. And then you got Aguirre knocking down five three-pointers. I mean, they've got a lot of weapons. And I love what you say about Gano. He's so tough. And even when he goes 0 for 5 from the floor, he still just fills it up plays 23 minutes, commits four fouls, but still grabs seven rebounds for you and has seven assists. So he just impacts the game every single minute he's on the floor. I mean, those are impressive numbers for 23 minutes and four fouls with seven rebounds and seven assists. And I know that his scoring total, just four foul shots converted on, wasn't what maybe it typically you can see from a guy like that. But he certainly is a big leader on this team. And Southwest Baptist is a very dangerous team. They certainly are. And another guy that you mentioned there, R.J. Crawford, just a tremendous two-way player, will often be guarding the best on-ball playmaker on the other team. And he does it at such a high level. And then he goes to the other end, and he's got a little bit of an unconventional shot. He knocked it down, three for five from downtown in this game. 
and scored 21 points to lead the way. Only two ahead of Quinn Nelson. Quinn Nelson scores 19 points on five shot attempts in the game. That is the definition of efficiency as Southwest Baptist takes it 72-62 to 62 over UND. 16 points for Corey Miller Jr. and 15 for Jacoby Robinson. Not enough to get it done for UND. And then Illinois Springfield picking up a win against William Jewell. We talked about how much better William Jewell has been playing this year. So impressive for Illinois Springfield to snap that losing streak and finally be able to get back into the win column. This is a conference that just gives you no breaks along the way. And you have to earn it to, to snap a losing streak. I mean, one of the better teams in this conference, William Jewell has established themselves them, themselves as such, and Illinois Springfield picks up an impressive one. They did. I mean, you got to just get out of that funk. A seven-game losing streak for the Prairie Stars, but you pick up a nice win at William Jewell, and you make a nice jump from the basement of the points rating system up a couple spots after this victory. But Illinois Springfield got the job done on the defensive end. I mean, to earn an 11-point road win, this game was really dictated in the first half. UIS held William Jewell to just 20 first-half points. Jewell only shot 26% from the floor in the first half. And so Springfield got a lot of confidence, and they were able to just put it in the paint. The Prairie Stars, you don't look at the roster and think they have a lot of big guys, but Jack Weber, he's just established himself to be a dominant player in the paint. And then Chris Hamill, again, gave this team a great lift with a team-high 15 points off the bench. I mean, Hamill's just been a good player for a long time in this league. Weber got a double-double with 10 points, 11 rebounds, and then he led the team with five assists as well. So good for the Prairie Stars. They kind of get off the schneid after losing seven consecutive games. You know that's certainly difficult because they're a team that feels like they're more capable than the results that had shown over the last couple weeks. And picking up a road win like that certainly can start to say, okay, let's build off something now that we can get the job done. Yeah, that inside presence was huge for UIS in this game. Another good contributor in the painted area, James Kelly, finished with 12 points and 8 rebounds as the Prairie Stars out-rebounded William Jewell 41-34 to as a team in that victory for the Prairie Stars. 64-53, to they took it over William Jewell. And then we move to Truman State and Quincy. What we thought was going to be a shootout was just that. And you put it in the notes here, kind of a microcosm of Quincy's year, close but no cigar. And you see, again, just how talented offensively this Quincy team has been. They just haven't been able to find that consistency on the defensive end of the floor. I had the great privilege of being at this game and calling this game for Quincy and this really I mean you look at the score 93-86 and you 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 say okay Quincy from their perspective I'll start there they lose on the road to a team that has been getting a lot of national attention by 7 points and it's tough because you are right there. I mean, this was a great college basketball game. I mean, 
all throughout, there were some things that when you look back at the box score that were pretty surprising. But when you have 11 different lead changes, it's tied 10 different times. I mean, this game was back and forth. I know the Bulldogs got a couple late baskets and then iced it the game with foul shots toward the end. But for Truman, picking up their third straight win, they had to withstand a storm from Quincy because Quincy played really well. They only committed three turnovers the whole game. And honestly, the, the difference in this game was that when Truman needed baskets down the stretch, they got the ball to their All-American, Cade McKnight, who finished with 25 points, and Hunter Strait was a huge difference, adding another 21. It's hard to be able to let two guys get 20-plus against you, along with all the other contributors that they had, but it was a close game at halftime. It was tied at 60-60 to with midway through the second half. But, I mean, it, it was the really the game shifted when they went down to Cade McKnight for three consecutive possessions. He had a massive three-point play. But, really, I, it was just a great college basketball game. And it, it's fun to dissect it. But Truman, I mean, they shoot above 50% from the field as a team for the third consecutive game. They went 70-67 which are two program, the two best games in program history. Then they shot 58% against QU, which was the fourth best mark that Truman's shot in a game this season. So they've been shooting the ball extremely well. And Quincy ran into just a tough Bulldog team. And coming into the that game, I mean, it was tough. They got just such a tremendous effort out of Jamari Coakley. Had a highlight reel dunk in this game. But they only committed a season low three turnovers. And they outscored Truman 18-4 to in points off turnovers. The big difference for the Bulldogs besides Cade McKnight was that the Bulldogs really wanted to run. They outscored Quincy 20-4 to in the fast break. But, man, there's a lot to break down in this game. It was certainly a shootout. The first team to 90 points did indeed win, uh, like we talked about. But a tough, another tough loss for Quincy. So close. You play well, but you didn't get the victory. Boy, you are not joking when you say an amazing game. How about 13 combined turnovers in a game that saw 100 79 points scored. That is incredible. And and to think that Truman State was able to overcome getting 52 shot attempts to Quincy's 70 while the Hawks shot 47% from the field and still come away with a win. I mean, at this point with this Truman State team, we're talking about one of the greatest offensive Bulldogs teams in the history of a storied program. I mean, what they're doing right now is, you talked about it by the numbers, unprecedented. No, it's, it is. And the other big difference, the shot attempts were made up with shot attempts at the foul line for Truman State. They had 27 foul shot attempts at the foul line. But you're right. I mean, this stretch of Truman State basketball right now, they haven't shot the ball at this high of a clip for this last few weeks stretch. And they, they were just playing really, really well. And you're right. It was a great game. It was an offensive shootout. Um, Quincy hung in there tough. I think they I don't think you have a ton to hang your head about. Losing to this Bulldog team, certainly getting swept by your rival now, losing by one point at home, and then go on the road and hang tough again after they lost in overtime last year at Truman. I mean, it certainly hurts. It hurts straight to the heart. You could probably hear that in my voice with the way that I cover the team, but 
It just shows how good Truman State is. And at the end of the day, they made plays and they got the ball to their playmaker. Not many people in this league can stop Cade McKnight. And the Hawks certainly have struggled to stop big guys this year. And that was kind of a story in this one. But I know that a guy that is going to continue with four games left in the regular season for Quincy is Jamari Coakley. I mean, he he just really has turned his game to the next level. And I, I didn't see a player on that whole court playing harder than he did on both teams. Uh, the, the way that he provided just such a great energy for the team during this game, I mean, 23.7 rebounds. and went 11 of 16 from the floor. He had a career high in points, two assists, three steals in 30 minutes. I mean, he was doing everything. And again, dunking on a 6'8 kid was certainly a fun to witness as well. So, again, it's a game that we talk about for Quincy where, you know, overall we're talking about them playing an awfully good basketball game, but they end up with a loss. And, you know, that's kind of been the story of the season for this Quincy team. And then kind of to to add to all of it, the, the Hawks are moving on from their head coach, Ryan Hellensall. And it's one of those things for, for Hellensall, when you look back at this season for him, things could have very easily have gone very differently and we'd be talking about a completely different story, maybe even him on a path for coach of the year. When you look at the potential turnaround that Quincy could have had some of these close games going their way instead of ending up as some of those losses. But I know, Will, you think that Ryan Hellenthal, and I do too, he's going to be successful wherever he ends up going. And it's because of the content of that man's character. He's, he's a, such a good person and that's always the mark of a great coach you just know he's going to land on his feet absolutely I know that's where it definitely starts uh, being somebody and for any experience that I've ever had of him I can only speak highly of his character I've always enjoyed working with him in the times that I've been with him I know that he's someone who's always rolled up his sleeves and has worked extremely hard at what he does and it hurts um it hurts the whole program when you, you work really hard, you continue to put in good efforts, but you don't see the results. So I know that Quincy University the next day uh, ultimately put out a release that they were moving on from him and they're going to have a head coach who was an assistant now on an interim basis there for the rest of the regular season. But it definitely... It is tough to see that, and I feel for him because I've always enjoyed uh, the experiences I've had personally with him, and I have nothing but great things to say about his character and about the way that this team, even this year, had, it feels like their record should be so much better because they have been there down the stretch time and time again, but ultimately it hasn't reflected necessarily as much as it could have in the win-loss record, which really is the ultimate ultimate, I guess, dictator or judge in uh, in sports um, a lot of the times is wins or losses. And But when you scale that and look at the improvements, like a team that is taking care of the basketball so well this year when they were 15th in the GLVC in turnovers per game last year, I mean, that's just a great improvement. You lead the league in offense, but it, it, it is tough. It ultimately, I know that it's going to be interesting to see now what's happening moving forward. And I definitely know that he's going to go work hard and find success uh, at, at his next opportunity. And I certainly wish him the best. Certainly we all wish Coach Helen all the best as Truman State 
does come away with an entertaining victory in that one, 93-86 to 86 over Quincy, and that moved the overall record for Truman up to 16-6, and 10-4 and four in GLVC play. And then we move on to a Missouri S&T overtime victory over McKendry, 75-70. to 70. And McKendry, in two games, plays 95 minutes and ends up with two losses. You can't think of a much more heartbreaking way to have it happen for McKendry. They had to kind of come from behind in this one. They were trying to preserve the lead against Southwest Baptist on a couple of occasions before they finally fell in double overtime. But it was Luke Hensler that hit a clutch bucket for McKendry. I've been singing that man's praises all year long for these Bearcats. No surprise that he would step up in a big moment. But in the end, I know it wasn't Julian Smith's night, but he was never deterred. He kept playing hard, and he never got taken out of his game despite some of his shooting struggles, and he led Missouri S&T with no surprise to this five-point win in overtime. And I look at it for S&T, this was the third consecutive game decided by two possessions or less, but the first close game of that variety that they were able to win. And for McKendry, your second overtime game in four days. I mean, heartbreak, back-to-back heartbreaks for them. Two games that they felt like they could have had. They were right there. Hensler forcing uh, the overtime. The Nesson team missing a shot at the buzzer, ultimately to go to the extra period. But you're right, Hensler played really well in this game, and I was looking at this game, I was looking at the box score at halftime, and I saw Julian Smith, 0 of 11, I thought it was a typo. I didn't know that, like, McKendry had a great game plan against him, and he's a guy, you know he's going to get a lot of the shots. There's no secret with Missouri S&T's offense, and a lot of the times he shoots about a 50% clip, and when you're shooting high elbow jump shots like that, that is very impressive, but he did struggle to start the first half. A guy shooting 41% from the field and 39% from three-point range, one of the best three-point shooters, get it, gets it up and knocks it down just as good as anybody in this league. I mean, but then he started to play really well after having no points in the first half, 20 in the overtime and second half combined. And, I mean, he was big in a big Missouri S&T run down the stretch to be able to have this game, but obviously what a good basketball game going to overtime, the second GLVC overtime win for S&T here this season. But I know it definitely hurts for McKendry for how well they had been playing uh, to drop a couple close ones this week. Yeah, and let's give Missouri S&T a ton of credit. And, And back to Julian Smith real quick again for me real quick. You got maybe the premier scorer in this league can't buy a bucket in the first half. Well, what do you do? Combo guard? Just, what, he goes into the paint, mixes it up, pulls down a team-high eight rebounds in this game, plays tremendously hard defense, two blocks and a steal, and then finally the offense opens up. And, you know, the overall numbers don't look great at the end of the day, but you come away with the W. And how about Alexander Stratting in this game? Plays 40 minutes, goes 8 of 10 from the field, and provides 20 huge points for Missouri S&T. And, you know, without that performance from Alexander Stratting, there's just no way Missouri S&T comes away with this huge victory. 
No, Stradding's been a great scorer for them to go along with Smith. You know Smith has got to be a guy who facilitates, and you're right, the shooting numbers weren't great, but overall, you finish with 20 points. You'll take that more times than not. And it, it was just a great game. Two teams battling it out. And I, I, overall, you see, I think Stratting is a guy that makes this S&T team a lot more dangerous, not just for this year when you look at S&T, but for years moving forward. I mean, a lot of times you see four freshmen on the court, if you count those COVID freshmen in terms of eligibility, like a Julian Smith, who's in his second year in the league, but obviously granted an extra year of eligibility. All student athletes were last year. So you look at just the eligibility remaining on this team. A lot of times you got guys who still have three years left all on the court together. Um, so that that's what is really impressive about this team. Yeah, Missouri S&T fans have certainly got to be excited about what they have moving forward. They pick up that 75-70 to 70 overtime victory in Fort McKendry. We talk about that quick turnaround coming off the double overtime loss against SBU. Then they lose this one in overtime. All five starters for McKendry played at least 35 minutes in that game, and there was only a seven-man rotation for the Bearcats. The bench for McKendry in an overtime game played a total of 27 Minutes. So McKendry is going to have their legs tested down the stretch as they have a number of games coming up. They'll have a game coming up on this Monday as you're listening to this podcast as well to go along with a Saturday game that we've yet to cover in this one. 75 to 70 Missouri S&T over McKendry in this one. And then our final game from that Thursday slate, Southern Indiana taking down Drury 81 to 63. And this is one of those games where you travel to Springfield, Missouri, and you got to take care of business. You can't take this Drury team for granted. And the Screaming Eagles came out and, again, made that statement in the first half. We've seen USI do this a few times where they just put the game away right off the bat. No, it was over in the first half. I mean, Southern Indiana, they came out on a mission in this game. When you look at Jacob Polakovich, I mean – he played incredible in this game, 26 points and 13 rebounds. He had 16 points in the second half. USI was up 36-17 to 17 at halftime. You get a season-high 22 points from Jelani Simmons, so Simmons and Balakovich combine for 48. It's another example of this Southern Indiana team being tough on the road. It was a pretty impressive win to see what they were able to do in that fashion against Drury because when you look at it overall, you're up 36-17 to 17 at halftime. You basically know the game is over at that point, but Southern Indiana, even in the second half, they shot above 70% but got outscored in the second half. Even though they shot above 70%, they got outscored by just a point in the second half and I guess settled for that 81-63 to win. But after you're up 36-17 to at halftime, you go to shoot above 70% in the second half. I mean, there was just no way Drury could overcome that early deficit. Yeah, and you talk about that huge double-double for Jacob Polakovich. How about six of those 13 rebounds coming on the offensive end of the floor. That is huge to provide those extra possessions for your team, especially 
in a game where the Screaming Eagles struggled a little bit with turnovers, had 17 turnovers to just 12 for Drury. So they do make up for it in the rebounding category somewhere where USI has been so good all year long. 41 to 25, they out-rebound Drury as a team in this one. And it is that three-headed attack there. Jacob Polakovich, Jelani Simmons, and Tyler Henry getting the job done. All three of those guys in double figures. Simmons with 22, you mentioned, and Polakovich with that double-double and 26 points in the big victory for Southern Indiana, which pushed them to 14-5 and overall and 9-4 and in GLBC play. And then that moves us to Saturday and goodness when when we look at the totality of what happened on this Saturday tons of movement within the conference and we're going to get things started with maybe the biggest game of the entire week in the conference and yet another statement from Southwest Baptist 82 to 71 they take down Southern Indiana there is no team hotter than Southwest Baptist and the GLVC, and they're making a case for being one of the hottest teams in the entire country right now. This was a statement win. This was a massive victory for Southwest Baptist. They need to have some respect on their name. They are hot right now, like you mentioned. When you win six consecutive Great Lakes Valley Conference games, that does not happen on accident. They're 18-4 and four overall, 12-3 and three in GLVC play, and despite Southern Indiana coming out strong, 37-31, they lead at halftime. A 51-point second half for Southwest Baptist. I don't know if anybody's playing better than Quinn Nelson right now. He was a bucket this week. I mean, 60 points, 61% from the floor, 55% from three-point range. He went 11 of 11 at the foul line and had 14 assists on the week. Seven coming against USI in this game. I mean, it was just a great second-half effort. USI really did fall off in the second half. Stafford did have a career-high 20 points in this game, and Polakovic had his 10th double-double of the season. We, I know we've well-detailed what he's been able to do, but, man, Quinn Nelson was just too much. And overall, you get Mitch Ganote. And you get R.J. Crawford, even the freshman Drew McMillan for Southwest Baptist went three for three from three-point range. But if you put 51 points up in the second half, in any half against Southern Indiana, you really need to have a lot of respect on your name. We know how good Southern Indiana is on the road, but when you go down to play the Southwest Baptist Bearcats, they're a team, they're one of the best teams in the country. They're certainly one of the best home teams in the country, and now they're atop the Great Lakes Valley Conference. You've got to respect this team. They're extremely good. Yeah, so so it's interesting now. When I'm, when I'm thinking about kind of the five top, teams when I look at kind of that top tier that's been set within this conference now you look at Southern Indiana and Lewis and they're a little bit more their strength is on the defensive side of the floor Lewis may be a little bit more balanced but Southern Indiana a little bit more on the defensive side Southwest Baptist some of the efficiency that they're showing right now on the offensive side of the floor very Truman State-like these two teams have set themselves apart on the offensive side in Southwest Baptist as well as Truman State. And then we've seen 
Umsel, we talk about them a little bit more balanced, versatile. You don't quite know how Umsel is going to get it done on a night-in and night-out basis. But right now, Southwest Baptist, 47 shots in this game to score 82 points. And they are continuing to get it done at the three-point line during the streak of impressive victories. Nine of 17, they go as a team over 50% in this ballgame. They have six players score eight or more points, including four players in double figures in this game. Not a single Bearcat took more than nine shot attempts in the game. So they're spreading the love. Everyone's getting the opportunity to score. And everyone is scoring. I mean, that's the way you draw it up in practice. When And your coach loves to see that because it keeps everyone engaged, not only offensively, but on the defensive side of the floor as well. And you know that you're going to have to have both if you want to come away with a championship in this conference. And Southwest Baptist trending in that direction after this victory all the way up to number one in the points rating system. So how about that meteoric rise? They were at number four just last week, all the way up to number one in one week's time. That shows you how much can change with this point rating system Mm -hmm. in the blink of an eye. No, absolutely. And as we continue to hit on this team real quick, talking about the teams or the league's top team right now, heading into this Southern Indiana game, we said, okay, this is a marquee matchup. Southwest Baptist. They're 10-1 and one at home now, 11-1 at home after picking up that victory. They've won six consecutive GLVC games, as we have mentioned. However, what does just dominating Southern Indiana in the second half, Colin, do for a team's confidence? I know they had already, the confidence probably was just all so high. I mean, they're 18-4 and four overall this season. But to do that, this streak, they're playing really good basketball toward the end of the season that's certainly when you want to be playing that way and these are easy victories that they've had during their win streak they had to win at McKendry they had to beat Indianapolis they had to beat Southern Indiana they had to win at Umsel an extremely difficult place to play those are their last four victories so it's not like they're running through teams toward the bottom of the league the last four teams they played are all teams in the top eight right now I know they still have to play Lewis and Truman State in their upcoming four games. But this Southwest Baptist team, they're running through the top of the league and they're picking up victories. You've got to tip your hat to this team. I think this is a great confidence booster, this streak right now, because we know that they're an upper echelon team. They have some results that are questionable this year. However, you're 12-3 and in GLVC play, and that's why you're the top of the league right now. Yeah, you know, and even those results, think about this right now. The three losses for Southwest Baptist in GLVC play by a combined nine points. Mm -hmm. So those could have very easily gone the other way. Now, you can also counter that by saying, look, this six-game winning streak for Southwest Baptist, all of those wins have come by single digits. But I'll tell you what, when you play teams like UMSL, like McKendry, like UND, like Southern Indiana, it, well, that Southern Indiana one was 11 points, so that really breaks my point right there. But, you know, it, it still kind of stands. You're not going to blow those teams out. They're just too good. And the way that this SBU team is finishing games consistently, when it gets to winning time, this Southwest Baptist team is playing their best basketball 
that is exactly what you want to see at the right time of the year as well for the Southwest Baptist team. Now, we've seen with some of these other teams, how do you hold up with playing a lot of these games in real close vicinity? It seems like the Bearcats are relishing it, and it's only helping them build momentum. It is, and yeah, I love what you bring up about their their three losses. Lindenwood, a one-point loss. S&T, they lose 75-71, and then Quincy, 73-69. All battles. They've been in every JLBC game this year. They're so competitive on both ends of the floor, just like UMSL. They can win with a game in the 50s. They can win with a game in the 90s. They're so good on the glass. They share the ball well. They just play great basketball, and it was impressive to see them get that marquee victory here. I'm looking forward to uh, see how they finish the season for sure. 51-34, to they outscore Southern Indiana in the second half. 82-71, to a huge win for SBU. 18-4 and overall in the season, 12-3 and in GLBC play, and they jump all the way up the number one in the points rating system after that extremely impressive victory in that one. And then we move on to Drury taking down McKendry 83-76. to 76. Maybe a little bit of a surprising result in this one. It drops McKendry now under 500 in conference play after three consecutive losses now. And really impressive from Obi Okafor in this game, 19 points, 10 rebounds. But I'll tell you what, Malik Davis is starting to establish himself as one of this league's top players that you really got to look out for on a game-in and game-out basis. He's playing some tremendous basketball right now. He dropped 25 and dished out seven assists as well. Now, this was a massive win for Drury. We know how good McKendry has been and is. And for Drury to be able to top McKendry, you look at Drury, they're starting all of a sudden to be playing well down the stretch. And when you got a guy like Malik Davis, just an elusive guard, he is he's extremely dynamic, and he has been playing really well. You look at some of his last four games, 31 points, 14 points, 20 points, and then 25 points here in this game. He just has the ability to explode. He can shoot the three-pointer just really well. He's lit up the three-point line. He's made five threes in against Lindenwood. He made five threes here against McKendry. He hit four threes against Southern Indiana. I mean, he gets the ball up from three-point range a lot. He shoots it with confidence. He's just ready to catch and shoot and pull up, and he, he's a really good player. He's, he's emerging himself in, into being a star in this league, and he's got the Drury Panthers playing pretty well right now. He sure does. Bryce Boltman played all 40 minutes for McKendry. Scored 20 points, had seven rebounds and six assists. A great performance from him. Carson Parker really showed out coming off the bench. 17 minutes played, had 14 points and seven rebounds. He did foul out in just those 17 minutes played coming off the bench, though. But it was really a huge bench performance from Drury, in my opinion, that pushed them over the top in this one. Miles Samuels gives them 30 minutes off the bench. Four of seven shooting, 15 points. Again, it's the efficiency that gets it done for this very team from a guy, Miles Samuels, coming off their bench. It is, absolutely. And I think that 
it's just you take for granted the leading score in the GLVC. Oh, he got 20 points again. It's just continued to be impressive. Bryce Boltman is averaging over 20 points per GLVC game. And when you talk about GLVC, I mean, that's a pretty good measuring stick. Everybody playing the same opponents, that's best in the league. But yeah, you're right. Drury picks up a big win. I really do think Obi Okafor is a guy that he's just so good on the glass. He's a great presence in the paint. As we've talked about, 19 points, 10 rebounds. Like you mentioned, just being able to pick up a double-double and be a big body in the paint is great. And another impressive thing, Colin, about Bullman is it's again... He is doing it after a slow first half. He gets 17 in the second half, 17 straight games that he has had double figures, his 10th, 20th point game in six of the last eight games he's had 20 or more. I mean, he just, he he basically does it all for the Bearcats. He had six of their 11 assists. I know we've talked about him year in, or, or at least podcast in and podcast out here during this program. But the reason is, is it's because he's a certainly one of the leading candidates to be the Great Lakes Valley Conference Player of the Year. He's really good, but I mean, the story in this one is Malik Davis. He shined a little brighter for the Drury Panthers, and this one had great help through Okafor. And I know that Drury, I think the game was really completely shifted in the first half when McKendry led about midway through the first half by six, a 27-9 run by Drury after, rather, McKendry was leading by six about midway through the first half. Drury responds with that massive run of 27-9 to take a 43-31 lead at halftime. So McKendry felt like they had that game where they wanted them, and then the Drury Panthers just respond with just this massive run, and then they extend that lead. However, McKendry does bounce back. They do use a big 17-3 run over their own in the second half to get within one point with about four minutes to play. So it was still close down the stretch in this game. A tough loss for McKendry because we know how good they have been. And also having Foster pick up a win over his former team. I know that's probably an emotional experience for Chris Foster as well. Yeah, no doubt. Something that I'm sure was important to him, especially going up against a guy that he's mentored in George Sugg, seeing all of the success that he's had. You know there's that competitive edge against two of those guys, two of the best coaches within the GLVC. And, you know, there's a reason why we talk talk so much about Bryce Boltman. 50 minutes, 41 minutes, and 40 minutes played in the last three games for Bryce Boltman. I mean, I'm going to have to do some number checking over the next few days because I, you, you will be hard-pressed to find a three-game span where anyone plays that many minutes and then to do it as effectively as he did, like you just said, that's three games in, what, a five-, six-day span where he is scoring 17 points in the second half after he has played all of those minutes that I just rattled off and he's still getting the job done. I mean, how many guys can you think of that would be able to do it? There might only be one, and it's that guy, Bryce Boltman, but it is a loss for McKendry in this one. They're third in a row, 83-76. to Gurry picks up the win, and now the Panthers are starting to streak. They've won three out of four in conference play, so a good victory for the Drury Panthers in that one. And then UND bounces back 
with a big win over Rockhurst, 70-63, to as they traveled to Kansas City to pick up that victory. D. Montgomery, I thought, was the story in this one. It feels like, I know Corey Miller Jr. is the leader of this team. He's just an all-caliber player. We've said this before, though. When D. Montgomery plays well for this team, it feels like the Greyhounds have that same level of success. D. Montgomery, 20 points, 4 of 6 from three-point range. I mean, I know he likes to shoot the three-pointer, and he had good efficiency in this game, just two points shy of this season high. But as of late, he's been scoring the basketball more effectively, and that really helped out the Greyhounds in this road victory. Yeah, Dee Montgomery was deadly efficient on the offensive end. Jesse Bingham chipped in for 15. Corey Miller was his usual self, added a solid 11.3 steals for Corey Miller Jr. in this game. And, you know, it really was what UND was able to do defensively in this game that was the difference and sparked them in the second half, outscoring Rockers 41-28 to after mm-hmm. trailing by six at halftime. UND turns the ball over just 11 times. They forced 21 turnovers from Rockhurst in this game. They pick up eight fast break points, 33 points, off of those turnovers, just 16 points off the turnovers for Rockhurst. So that's kind of the recipe that we talked about, right, for this UND team. They've got a lot of really good defensive players. When they can create those turnovers, which there are a lot of teams that do a good job of taking care of the basketball in this league. So for UND to do that, a great defensive performance and propels them to the victory in this one. I mean, that's just almost astounding. 33 points off of turnovers. We know the Greyhounds can play great defense. They're one of the best scoring defenses in the league. They just, they have good defensive numbers. Hold Rockers to 63 points, but 33 of the Greyhounds, that's four, they scored 70 points. That's 47% of their points coming off turnovers. Rockers coughing it up 21 times. I know Nick Voles, he had 21 points and seven boards, but Rockers, they're not playing really well right now. They've lost five consecutive games. Now they're one and seven on the road as well when you look at things moving forward for them when they don't play in Kansas City even after picking up this loss versus Indianapolis but Rockers led at halftime but like you mentioned that massive second half was a big time story in this one but the 33 points off the 21 turnovers that is just that's an impressive mark when you look at that and what Indy was able to do they forced the issue they pushed the envelope D Montgomery got involved their recipe for success is great defense and now Rockers after we talked about how it was impressive after the calendar flipped to 2022, how they picked up a couple impressive victories at home. They weren't able to replicate this one here at home against Indianapolis, and now all of a sudden they've lost five consecutive games, and they're ranked 14th now in the Great Lakes Valley Conference points rating system. Yeah, tough turn for the Hawks, but UND pushes themselves over 500 in conference play. They moved to 7-6 and six in GLVC play, 13-8 and eight overall. And by the way, partner, That was some impressive math you did right off the bat there. 47% of their points coming off the turnovers. I was just going to leave it as nearly half. I mean, you're going the extra mile over there. (laughs) You always have to. You always have to. (laughs) That's why we're we're doing this, right? So UND picking up that 70-63 win over Rockers. And then it was Umsel with an impressive final total against Missouri S&P, 75-59. 
we're talking about a Missouri S&T team that's got to be feeling good coming off that overtime victory against McKendry. And Umsel put an end to that rather quickly. 17 more points for Shane Wissing. He stays hot from downtown, goes four for nine out there. And Marty Jackson provided a double-double with 18 points and 11 boards. A dominant performance as they hold Missouri S&T to just 37% shooting in this game. Yes, Umsel really just ran a great margin of victory for them. Umsel really, really good. Third straight win for them. They've won five of their last six. The lone loss in that stretch was to the top team in the GWC right now, Southwest Baptist. They fell by four points in that game. But Umsel, they've scored from 58 to 93 points in their last five wins. I mean, they can do it in a lot of different ways, like we've mentioned, even from that Thursday game that we detailed. But Wissink, he has been on fire this week, just like a guy like Quinn Nelson, two guys that are just playing really well right now. Another 17 points. Marty Jackson's just a problem, and Umsel's pressure was too much. They got 18 points off of turnovers for Missouri S&T, from Missouri S&T. And again, it's not quite the uh, 33 points, but still that it contributed greatly to the victory of, of a good variety over an S&T team that we had seen at times playing well this year. But Umsel was just too much in this one for the Miners. Yeah, and they did a great collective effort on Julian Smith, held him to 5 of 19 shooting and just 12 points in this game. And that's one of the things for Julian Smith. Even sometimes when the efficiency numbers aren't there for him, he'll still rack up that total points. And, you know, that's what it's about at the end of the day. you got to have the production. That's what's going to bring you the W versus coming up short in a ball game. And Julian Smith was not able to get near that total where he's usually at at 20 points. He's only had one game all year where he's been in single-digit scoring, and he was nearly held to that mark in this one as Umsel was dominant, 75-59 to over Missouri S&T. The Tritons really starting to make a case for that number one spot. They are right on the tails of SVU in the points rating system at 11-5 and overall in conference play and 17-6 and on the season now for the Umsel Tritons. And then it was William Jewell with a really surprising result, especially, you know, you consider Jewell coming off of that loss to Illinois Springfield, maybe – that one kind of leaving a sour taste in their mouth with the Prairie Stars snapping that seven-game losing streak against the Cardinals. And then they bounce right back. A defensive, just phenomenal showing in this one. Only 57 points scored for Lewis in this ball game, And William Jewell gets the job done with 19 points from Mason Alexander. Mason Alexander, he can shoot the three-pointer really well. And the most impressive thing about him is he does not need much space to do it. He, he will get to either wing, get a dribble move. If you give him just a foot of space, he's pulling up 5 of 10 from three-point range. Like you mentioned, nine points to beat the top te- one of the top teams in the league, William Jewell, getting a win on their senior day. Very, very impressive what they did. Jewel at one point was up by 20 points in the second half, and I I was very surprised to see that. Lewis kept chipping away, but Jewel was able to hold on, and you hold Lewis to 57 points. The Cardinals get a nice victory on their senior day. They've picked up some marquee results this year. Say, William Jewel beat Lewis. 
yeah, they did. They, they've got some players who can step up, and it wasn't like us talking about Jermaine or McKinley. This time it's Alexander. that They've got a couple different weapons who can beat you, and again, a very impressive victory for William Jewell. Maybe a little bit of a concern for a Lewis team that we were certainly extremely high on, um, at least coming into this one and talking just overall about how this team might be one of the top teams in the league, but they take kind of a surprising lost to William Jewell, and Jewell continues to impress and continues to fight to be in the top eight. And if they can play at home, you know they've picked up some good, impressive victories at home so far this year. Yeah, and Will, when I watch this Lewis team, certainly this is true of all teams, but particularly Lewis, they are a very energy-driven team. When the energy is there, they they just look like world beaters out there on the floor sometimes. And for William Jewell to slow down that attack for Lewis and defend without fouling, I think was really the key for them in this game. We talked about that performance from Lewis, 19 of 21 at the free throw line and how that helped them ice away their victory in their last contest. It was William Jewell taking that advantage away from them in this one, not even sending them to the free throw line. Six total attempts for Lewis in this game at the free throw line. You think about the way that Lewis loves to get out and run that fast break. Zero fast break points for the Lewis Flyers in this game. William Jewell, just an exhibit on what you need to do energy-wise yourself defensively to shut down a team that loves to live off of that energy themselves. You make such a great point because I don't know if there's a better team in the league when we when they're firing on all cylinders, and I don't just mean playing well because we've seen that. <laughs> I mean, with, when any team's playing well, uh, they can look like the best team in the league. But for Lewis, a great strength of this team, I don't know if anybody can run the floor better than the Lewis Flyers. And for William Jewell to stop the ball, I mean, Lewis is one of the toughest teams in the league to stop the ball in transition because anybody can bring it up the floor and just go down downhill on you. If it's Atticus Sahankaya, if it's Bruno Williams, if it's Frerichs, it doesn't matter. They got shooters in transition. They have guys who just go straight downhill and get to the paint. And to be able to get back on defense, be disciplined and stop the ball and make Lewis work the 30-second shot clock and run their offense to get something good, I mean, overall, that's where the game was won for William Jewell. And again, another one on the docket for Chris McCabe that he can point to and say, Hey, everyone, I'm making my case for coach of the year. That is an extremely impressive result for him. You consider Lewis coming into this contest 9-2 and two in GLVC play, a conference that has proven that no one is safe. I mean, everyone picking up losses left and right against teams that you wouldn't expect. Finally, Lewis falls victim to that as well. William Jewell takes him down 65-57, to 57 and Jewell, moves back to an even 500 in conference play and 500 on the year, 12 and 12, 8 and 8 in conference play. So really impressive from William Jewell. And then Truman State had to stave off a Prairie Stars team that was clearly feeling a little bit more confident in this one, but maybe the home court advantage just enough to keep the Prairie Stars at bay. 78-72, Truman State takes down Illinois Springfield. And again, the offensive numbers off the charts, 55% from the field 
from the Bulldogs, and it's almost, you know, you're getting, starting to get desensitized to it. It's incredible. And the more impressive thing is they did it without two starters. They, they got a great tough fight from UIS. Eric Northweather had a career-high 27 points, and he's a guy I definitely want to talk about. I think he is going to be a budding star in this league, playing behind Cade McKnight right now. But Cade McKnight, he went out late in the game against Quincy with a sh- appeared as though a shoulder injury toward the final minutes of that game on Thursday night. And then Scherer, one of their starting guards, went down, and he didn't return in this game. Those are two of your starters who didn't play. UIS gives a great fight, but Eric Northweather steps in. The 6'10 freshman is a really good player, and I think that he's a guy in the next couple years when you don't have Cade McKnight there, he's going to be that next okay I'm going to be a dominant post player for the Truman State Bulldogs. The Bulldogs have consistently had at least one guy who you say, okay, he might be one of the best players in the league. You look a couple years back, it's Broderick Thomas. Then you look forward, it's Cade McKnight. I think Eric Northweather is going to be that next guy for them. I mean, he's just so good. 16 or more points in in four of the last six games. He's really starting to play well, and he's just a freshman. So I think this is a guy that fans can look moving forward to say this is going to be a really good basketball player 27 points to lead them to victory when they're out to score two starters and of course their main scorer in Cade McKnight and Truman they've won four in a row we don't really talk about that one and three stretch that they had and it's interesting when you look at their year they started four and oh in GOVC play then went three and four and now they have another four and oh stretch where they've won four consecutive games they're averaging over 87 points per game during this four game winning streak it's very impressive what they're able to do but they came out and they said we don't have McKnight but we have Northweather he came out and scored eight of the first 10 points for Truman State and while UIS did lead at halftime it was just so much of Truman State shooting the basketball above 50 percent for the fourth consecutive game you're right it's off the chart stuff the Bulldogs can just knock it down with the best of them but this game It was not easy for Truman State. UIS had a great effort in this game. It was tied 72-72 with 68 seconds to play. So, I mean, there was a lot down the stretch that Truman State still had to do. Mason Miller found Peters. He got a basket. They hit foul shots and get the victory. But it was just impressive. The main thing that I took away from it is even without K. McKnight and even without Trey Scherer who went down, they still have guys who can beat you like the Hayes Camps, the Millers, and the North Weathers who just really had the best game of his career. So overall, good win for Truman State and a great fight. Illinois Springfield certainly gave him a scare. I mean, that game came right down to the wire. It, it certainly did. And let's let's spend a second talking about how and why Truman State is putting up these historical offensive numbers. Let's take a look at the way the team is built. You've got that floor general in Hunter Strait, one of the best passers that the conference has to offer just in terms of assists per game. And then beyond that, taking care of the basketball, assist to turnover ratio, one of those themes that seems to come up time and time again when we talk about why a team came away with a win or didn't. And then you've got the shooters to surround that floor general with Mason Miller, Elijah Hayescamp can step back and knock down the three when he's not slashing and getting after it in transition. Mm-hmm. Northweather can even knock down the three-pointer 
from that forward position. I mean, really the only guy that you don't look to knock down a three on this Truman State team is Dylan Peters. And, oh, by the way, he went six for seven in this game with 16 points and nine rebounds and three assists. That's something I want to talk about here that is so deadly when you watch Truman State play. Their ability to pass from big to big is Mm -hmm. as good as anyone else, maybe in the entire country, whether it's Peters and Northweather, whether it's Northweather and McKnight, whether it's Peters and McKnight. That big-to-big combination that they have going high-low and then the ability for that big to also stretch the floor, step out and knock down a three while still pressuring you on the interior when they want to, it's almost an impossible combination to stop. And it makes you wonder, how does this team even have four losses in GLVC play? Just shows you how strong this conference is. Absolutely, and I know the thing is, with Truman, at at all times, you can guarantee that there's at least one, most of the times two, guys that are 6'8 or bigger in the game. Just big bodies. I mean, you got Peters, who's long and lethal. Hayes Camp is one of the best rebounders on this team. Every single night, you feel like he's getting in double digits and rebounds. Dylan Peters, one of the best rebounders in this league. And then Northweather's a big body as well. I mean, they got big bodies. It is really hard to run with all these guys. I mean, Elijah Hayes Camp, he's not even one of the biggest ones. He's third in the Great Lakes Valley Conference with eight rebounds a game. I mean, it's really impressive what Hayes Camp can do. That's a guy who just gets on the glass. I remember a game last year, he had 20-plus rebounds. And, and again, I mean, he's just a guy who just eats up the glass. And same thing with Peters. I mean, when you have those dominant paint presence guys, sure, that's great on offense and defense. But like you mentioned, Colin, they can pass out of the post. You can't double-team them or you leave Mason Miller open. They're a tough team to guard, and we have seen that uh, over the last four games. Sure have. 78-72, to 72, they take down Illinois Springfield after the Prairie Stars snap that seven-game losing streak. Truman State is up to 17-6 and six overall, 11-4 and four in conference play. And then we move to our final game of that Saturday slate. It was Lindenwood on top of Maryville, 73-55. to 55, And a much welcome sign for Lindenwood, Kevin Caldwell Jr. getting back to doing what he does next down six three-pointers on his way to a 24-point performance and also picked up eight assists in the process as well. Lindenwood set the tone early in this game. They didn't really let Maryville breathe. And I I think that you, you have to look at, okay, Caldwell Jr., he's a great player. I know we've really talked about Burrell and Ross, how, how good of a players they are, and that three-headed monster. Somebody's got to step up every night for them and do stuff. When you have dynamic guards like that, you have to set the tone early because you don't want to fall behind the eight ball and then have the other teams really forcing the pressure on your guards. They didn't do that. They set the tone early. They led by double figures most of the first half, and it's hard to lead most of the first half and then continue to play well in the second half. It, it, I mean, think about all the games that we've talked about today. We've talked about a team up at halftime. The other team comes and wins with a big second half. Lindenwood didn't let Maryville do that. They went on a couple runs, but they fought through. They withstanded those runs. It was just a complete wire-to-wire, 40-minute effort for Lindenwood, and that's why they win in a battle of two teams from the STL area 
the Lions are able to pick up that impressive victory by a wide margin against Maryville. Yeah, well, I love that point that you make about being able to sustain an effort in a second half after you put together a good first half because there's, there's kind of multiple components to it, right? There's a psychological effect. Okay, we got this. We're good. We're, we got the lead. There's just that natural, just a little bit of an ease up maybe in the intensity level that you bring out when you come out to the floor in the second half. And then simply the matter of you were the more successful team you don't have as many things to go back and look at. Look, here's the adjustment that we need to make. Here's what we need to do different to be better. And so you come out with less things changing in in your opponent has more knowns. You have more unknowns as your opponent has made more adjustments. So there are a lot of different reasons why you don't see that level of play sustained. And for Lindenwood to hold your opponent to 34% shooting in Maryville in this game, that's a great sign moving forward because we've talked about it multiple times with this Lindenwood team. They might be one of the most talented offensive teams in the entire conference. It's just a matter of trying to get this team to guard on a consistent basis, and they've got a good building block in this one to work around in a dominant performance, an 18-point victory, 73-55 over Maryville to close out that Saturday slate. And then before we get to those uh, couple of games that we have to look forward to on Monday. Let's take a look at the standings overall real quick, give you the leaders real quick from each division, as that doesn't matter as much when we move to the point rating system, but it is Truman State in front in the central, just by one game in the loss column over UMSL, 11-4 and four to 11-5 and five over UMSL for Truman State. Lewis at 9-3. and three. Southern Indiana is nine and five in the East, and it's UND right behind them at seven and six. And then we move to the West, Southwest Baptist. We've talked about quite a bit, establishing themselves now as maybe that team to beat in the conference, as they are that team atop the points rating system, 4.07. 0.03 separates the Bearcats and the Flyers of Lewis, who are at 4.04 for second place, 3.97 for Truman State in third so razor thin margin for those first three positions southern indiana in fourth at 3.79 umsel in fifth at 3.66 and then a little bit more of a drop off from there und in sixth McHenry seventh william jewel eighth lindenwood ninth missouri s and t tenth drury 11th quincy 12th uis and 13th rockhurst 14th and maryville in 15th so you take a look at those top three and, you know, anything can happen. But we saw what Southwest Baptist did going from four all the way up to one. There was a pretty wide gap, again, between those top couple of teams. It was almost like 4.5, I think it was, at the beginning of last week about where Lewis was sitting. And now Southwest Baptist has jumped up and caught them. So things can happen really, really fast, and it's going to make for an exciting last few weeks of this season. Yeah, a lot of teams with about four games left, and I know that a lot still can happen. 
you go and you play these games, and I'm looking forward to seeing the Southwest Baptist continue to run the table. What do we see out of a Lewis Flyers team? I know we were really high on them early, but they hadn't played as many games. They had one shocking result over the weekend, but they are still atop this league at second in the points rating system. And then with Sherman State, I mean, I don't think they're a team anybody wants to play right now. And then we know how good Southern Indiana has been, and Umsel's been hot. That top five, that those are all teams They're all five of them aren't going to make the regional, but all five of them feel like they should. So that's why they're all fighting to try to get that NCAA tournament bid. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see when those regional rankings come out fairly soon as well. It'll be tremendous fodder for us here on the play-by-play perspective podcast. So now we move to those Monday previews, Missouri S&T to take on Lindenwood at 530. And again, it's going to be Lindenwood trying to continue that defensive effort that they shifted against Maryville. And for Missouri S&T, they picked up what was a big emotional win against McKendree, and now they've got to bounce back after a big loss in this one. It will be, and you get to see some high-level talent in this game. I know we've detailed what we like to see out of a guy like Julian Smith and then also on the other end of the equation, what Lindenwood brings to the table with Jacoby Ross up front and also Romello Burrell, two two of the better scorers in the league, and then what we've seen from Kevin Caldwell Jr. I mean, no other team has three players in the top 15 in scoring in the league, but that's what Lindenwood has with Ross Burrell and Caldwell Jr. All three of them over 14 points a game, but Julian Smith right now third in the league at 19.7 points per game in GLVC play, so it should be a good one with some pretty good offensive firepower in that matchup at Lindenwood on Monday night. Uh, Will be a good game for fans to watch, and you know, listening now, you can go tap into a couple games here this evening. Yep, S&T at Lindenwood, like you said, at 5.30 on Monday night, tonight. And then it will be Truman State at Maryville. So Truman State, we talked about as hot as can be in this conference. Is there a chance that Maryville takes them down? I know we've seen just about everything in this conference, but it just seems like Truman State is on another level right now. Yeah, no, I don't think, I mean, I don't think there really is a chance. I think that you're looking at a game that could be, you know, a 15 to 20 point margin type game. Now you wonder, can Truman State replicate the performance that they had with Northweather? How long are two of their starters going to be out? How can they overcome that is going to be interesting. I, I, I probably should pump the brakes on that margin because you know GLVC games typically can be pretty close, but I just, I just see Truman State just continuing to play well. I see them uh, continuing this win streak uh, uh, here on Monday night. Yeah, especially when you look at, at what those bigs are doing. You, you take out McKnight and then Dylan Peters and, and Eric Northweather still do what they did in that UIS game. I think it's going to be a tall task for Maryville, no doubt. That one set to get started at 7.30 at Maryville tonight and then our final preview for this Monday slate McKendry taking on UND that game will be in Lebanon Illinois and a really really big game for both of these teams because we've talked about how these two teams you know 
they're they're knocking on that door for that top five, which is the upper echelon. And we've seen how quickly things can change, but it is that critical juncture in the season for both of these teams. You have to start making it happen right now if you're UND or McKendree. I mean, I expect McKendree to play extremely well in this game because of the, what they've done the last three games isn't, they know that they're a better team than that. And I know that you've seen that covering this team. When you lose three consecutive games, how can you get out of that? Well, you're going up against a really good team in Indianapolis, and you're right. These two teams are just, they're separated by just one place in the points rating system. Indianapolis six, McKendry seventh. Both teams want to play well, like you said, down the stretch in the season to stay in the top eight and get a home game, but also try to knock on the door and see how high of a seed they can get. Both of these teams are knocking on the door to say, hey, put me in the conversation to be one of the top teams in the league in that top five. They're both in that top half of the league right now, so that should be a good battle. I think that is the marquee matchup here this evening, and I know you're looking forward to it. Uh, Are you going to be on the call for this one? Yeah, we'll be on the call for it. Looking forward to seeing Bryce Boltman and Corey Miller Jr. going back at it. And a little bit of a homecoming of sorts for Jacoby Robinson after transferring out to UND, and he'll come back to McHenry University, where I had a tremendous time covering him as a freshman. He's one of my favorite players in the conference, so it's going to be fun to uh, to get to call that game for me for sure. What are you looking for for McHenry in this game? I know that they have gone through a little bit of a stretch where they haven't experienced the wins that they had after rattling off a lot and getting in that conversation. I mean, this is a big-time matchup. You've seen the Bearcats play well at times this year. What do you look to see from them in this game to say, to be able to top a really good Indianapolis team, let's be honest? Well, you have to get solid play outside of Bryce Boltman because, you know, we talk about it ad nauseum. He is that known for this McKendrick team. And I think, you know, it's finding a little bit more aggressiveness or or finding a way to draw some plays up for Brendan Gooch because this is a guy that has the ability to consistently give you about 15 points a game and seven points on three shot attempts in 37 minutes against Drury. You know, I didn't I didn't get a chance to watch the game or, or see it happen, but there's just got to be a way to get a, someone like Brendan Gooch more involved. He was a second-team all-conference player last year for a reason. He has superstar characteristics about him, but he's one of those guys, when I look in the box score, he's got to be more involved in that offensively, and I know he affects the game defensively in a huge way as well, but... Look to see if if Brendan Gooch can get going for the Bearcats in that one. And for you, Indy, the story's similar, right? Corey Miller Jr. is that known quantity. And then D. Montgomery has been the X factor. So will D. Montgomery step up? Will it be Brendan Gooch? We've talked about sometimes for McKendry, Carson Parker has been that guy to be the X factor. So it's another one of those games where you have the star power. You know what you're getting there. Where does the game shape up outside of that? Should be interesting to watch. Yeah, I can't wait. You you can watch your guy Colin on the call. He gives the play-by-play perspective, not just on this podcast, but he'll be given the uh, PXP also here this evening. So I'm looking forward to uh, watching that game. That's right. And you can follow the play-by-play perspective 
on Twitter at the PX perspective on Twitter. That is the handle right there, but just search the play-by-play perspective will pop up in that search bar as well. And also search PXP perspective on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Will Connerly, this show's been a whole lot of fun as always, partner. Absolutely. Looking forward to the next one. So this has been the play-by-play perspective. This show is in no way affiliated with the GLVC. We'll see you again on the play-by-play perspective.